Okay, our text tonight is Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, and I'll go from there to 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11, really, as part of the text, and then I'm going to jump back over into the book of Matthew uh, after that. So we, we're going to be uh, taking a few jumps as we go along the way here, and then we'll get right on it. So uh, our text is Matthew chapter 16. As we bring you the message tonight, pressing on the upward way. So in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18, he saith unto them, Whom say ye, whom uh, say ye that I am to his disciples? He's talking to them now. He has the twelve there. Whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now let me just insert one little thing here. That in the way it is stated here, and, and, and of course as well in Luke, Mark, the idea is, is that they're saying this, and Peter speaks up, but the group is in agreement. You say, well, why is that important? Judas Iscariot is a part of that group. And so, he says, uh, he saith unto him, whom say, men that, uh, whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Son of the living God. Just to understand the importance of that. To say that he was the Son, and he used a Greek word to say that he was the seed, actually the offspring of Almighty God. That was blasphemy to the Jews and a death penalty. They could have put Simon Peter to death right then if they had heard it and knew what he said. Verse 17 says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, <clears throat> for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Is that interesting, John chapter 1, where we read that uh, no man has seen God at any time? The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath revealed Him. So again, it's only through Jesus Christ we know the Father. We know God. We pray in the name of Jesus, coming in His uh, name, His person, who He is. And He goes on to say, And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter. A pebble is what the name people, uh, Peter means. He's just a pebble. Small stone, you might want to say. And upon this rock, a boulder. Now, understand, they're calling him Peter, but his name was Simon. Simon Peter. He says, you're called Peter. And upon this rock, this boulder, I will build my church. What is the boulder? Simply this, the rock of ages. Jesus Christ is the rock of ages. Thou art the son of the living God. That is the rock upon which the local church is built. That's the clear teaching of this passage. The Catholic church tried to make this Peter. I don't know what they do with the idea that they call him the first pope. What they do about the wife that, uh, 
and the mother-in-law that uh, Peter healed, and then the wife that he led about, even the Corinthians, Paul says, don't we have the same liberty as Peter to lead about a wife? So you think about that, you say, well, boy, they've got to come up with something different than that if they want to have something they say is their own. It would have been nice if Peter had ever been in Rome, but there's no record that he ever was. Is that interesting? But he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Never forget, gates are not for attacking, unless you're Samson and you're carrying some gates up the side of a mountain. Uh, but they are for defense. They're for defense. That tells us that the, in the Lord's army, we are to be on the offense. How? With the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Holy Spirit speaking in and through us using His Word. And so he says, the gates of hell shall not prevent, uh, prevail against it. So their love and trust of God. As you'll see in the history of the 11 of those 12 disciples that were there that day, they accepted that love and that trust in Him. As 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, Yea, and all those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. But these guys would stay true. No matter how hard it got. And listen, 11 of those 12 died a martyr's death. John, the apostle, did not, but he was boiled in oil. He survived. But they stood true even to the end, and we know that about them. And so that brings me to 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. Again, this is all part of the text. And he says, for we, now this is addressed, 1 Corinthians, this is addressed to a local church with the idea that this applies to all local churches. Okay? For we are laborers together with God. Uh, isn't it interesting the Holy Spirit gives these words to Paul? Paul does say, ye are uh, laborers together with me. No, he says, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Remember, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of the local church. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. In other words, there was a sense in which he was over these local churches at the time as they were forming local churches. And so, the master builder, the foreman, the one who is following the direction of the architect of the local church, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are building the building according to the way that Christ laid out. A wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and no other foundation, uh, wait a minute, yes, and, and, and the foundation, let me get back here, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth 
thereupon. You say, why is that important? You see how people today are using rock music, other Bible versions, and so many other things, removing standards to try to build their local church? He says, uh, take heed how, how you build thereupon. Why? Because we also find that it's to be a holy church. It's built upon Jesus Christ. And other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ, that rock of ages. Since we press on the upward way, we are building according to his plan, according to the word of God, the local church. Before I have a word of prayer, let me just say this. There are people that have gone to church for years, to the same church, and they never joined the church. How does that make Christ feel? I don't join anything. Well, all right. So you've rejected the way Christ had designed it. How does that make you feel good? Rejecting God's way. Well, everybody ought to be happy that I'm there. Well, okay. But you're not building thereupon. Ye are my witnesses. So keep it in mind, as we've just looked at that passage, I want that in the back of your mind as we progress in this message this evening. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, this is your word. You wrote it. You designed it. It's all absolute truth. There is no error. You said you would preserve it in Psalms chapter 12 from this generation forever. For anyone to say that we've lost a part of it, is calling God a liar and they're spitting in the face of the Holy Spirit and that is a lie and that is an abomination. Lord, you have preserved it. All men have tried in their best ways to make right copies and everything, but you preserved it and you guided them. I thank you for that, Lord. And Father, I pray now, this church, and every individual, every member of the church would remain true to that word. Let it be the schematic, the direction by the Holy Spirit in every aspect of life. Help us to rightly divide the word tonight that it may edify your people in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name, I pray it. Amen. Now, this morning, as we looked into our uh, message in, in the beginning of this, uh, when we started there, we, we said, uh, as we considered Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 8, that Jesus was up on a certain mountain, and he called his disciples to him, and he selected 12 to be his disciples. Now, don't forget, there's one, one point, 120. There's another time he sent out 70. In John chapter 6, 
I think it's around verse 63 or 64, 64, 65, somewhere around there. 66, I think it is. John 6, 66. Many of his disciples went from him and followed him no more. Because he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And he said, how can you eat the flesh and drink the blood? Well, verse 63, he said, the words I speak unto you are spirit. The flesh, the blood, as we would have the unleavened bread and the uh, unleavened juice, which is what they drank. They were not drinking alcoholic beverage for the Lord's Supper that represented sin, the product of decay. And so as they ate of that and drank of that, showing the Lord's death till he came. But I want you to understand that he said, my words are spirit. And that just went right over their heads. They couldn't get their mind off this other thing the devil put in there to take them away from the truth. And they followed him no more. He said, now why are you pointing that out, Pastor? For this simple reason. Judas didn't leave him. Judas stayed with him. 120 left. Now, we have the tendency to focus on Judas for something bad, and it was bad, it was evil. But those 120 left him before Judas did. They walked away, they followed him uh, no more in his ministry from that. Now, did many of them follow later? I, probably when he raised from the dead, kind of woke them up, I would think. And so, we saw that, and then uh, he came, uh, then uh, came Jesus to his disciples, we're told there, and in that passage, and he went on with it. But before we go any further than that, we saw that Jesus did not make a bad choice when he chose Judas. I believe that he gave Judas a chance. I mean, Judas did not leave. Now, he said, I chose 12 of you, and one of you hath the devil. And that was Judas. But you know what? There have been many, over the years, demon-possessed, demon-filled people that got saved. Remember the man that had a legion of devils? Christ cast them out. The swine ran down into the Sea of Galilee there and drowned. And he wanted to go with Jesus. He said, go home and tell thy friends and thy brethren what Christ has done for you. And he did. Used of the Lord. A man who was filled with demons. Filled with devils. You know, over the years, of ministry, both my first church as well as here. I've, I've had people that brought on. They seemed so solid, and I believe they were. I believe they were. But like Judas, he seemed to be right in there with them until the betrayal. And I believe that that's the way the disciples felt about him. This guy's there. 
I mean, at the supper, at that supper, that Passover supper, when he says, one of you shall betray me, there's Judas at his right hand setting. He's got a seat of honor. And Jesus tells him, that thou doest do quickly. He would be the one that would betray him. He had the bag. Jesus already knew he was taken from what was in the bag. But he's the one that was the treasure. I mean, that was trusted. That was trust. That was a position, and Jesus knew all about it. But that man had a choice. And so, we see that he went another way. And, and as I said, over the years, I've had people come with me in my first church. I've had them here that I didn't think was a bad choice. Boy, I tell you, they started out great guns. Boy, they had standards, and many times I said, boy, they're to the right of me. But they turn to, from the right. I believe that they were good people at the time. Probably were. But you see, as a Christian, you daily must walk with God. You must daily stick right there to it. Prayer, God's Word, meditating on it, obeying, all of that is important in the Christian life, or you too can go just as far as one of them did. And I've seen them leave, go here, and become something else when they end up somewhere else. And everybody says, oh, but they were such good people. And they were. I mean, think about this. These men, these 12 that are on the mountain there with Jesus, they were sent out and they were told to heal the sick, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, and to preach the kingdom of God. Now, look. That was true, and that's what they did, just as some of those people I've just uh, mentioned in my first church here, whatever else, and in other churches. They preached, good preachers preached the truth. And something happened. Something happened. Well, this happened with them. So after... We looked at that, we, that text, we said our first point was simply our enlistment. And we used Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. If you're saved, we told you, he, you're called in his service and he has works that he's already ordained. You're his workmanship. He wants to do the work in you. You must just get in his word, obey, be in prayer, call upon him and see what he'd have you to do and you do it. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that you should walk in them. Now, since Jesus Christ ordained the local church, realize that in this age, this church age, some call it the age of grace, although I believe that God's grace was true in all ages, because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But, let's call it the church age. But regardless of what you want to call it, we know that there's been this ongoing battle and the men that remain true to the end, the people that remain true to the end, are the ones that never abandon for fame, fortune, or anything else. I think of the passage that seems so hard. 
when the apostle says, Demas, having loved this present world, hath forsaken me. You know what? A lot of them said, boy, he just left it all together. I wonder, because we're not told that, he said he left the ministry where Paul was and wasn't doing it in that same way, in the same way it's directed. Yet there are other parts before then that he was, he did well, got commended. What happened to Demas? Again, what I've seen happen to different ones over the years that used to preach the Word, send strong truths of the Word of God, suddenly they've gone another direction. What happened? This present world got their attention, and they turned to it. Oh, might have been a good preacher, might have been a good this, good that, but the present world drew them away. And so, having said all of that, just to get to this point, we need to understand that we're in a spiritual battle. Every day there is a warfare and we must decide whose side on which we stand. Now, having said all of that, let's have a word of prayer because I want to go on to our next point. Father, I pray now that as we delve further into your word this evening, I pray, Father, that it would be rightly divided, that beyond what I have the ability to do, for my ability lacks, the Holy Spirit would take the message home to each heart to edify the saints call the lost back to you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, after our exhortation, our, our, should, I said our exhortation, our enlistment into God's arms, say, okay, he's called me. I've, I've been drafted. Now I've got to go along. I'm going to go along with it. I'm going to go along with it wholeheartedly. I'm enlisted. I'm part of the army of God. So the next is our exhortation as soldiers of the King of Kings. Now is where we go to Matthew chapter 17, as I told you this morning we would. Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 through 21. Now keep it in mind, this morning we looked at those 12 that were called of God. They were chosen of the Lord Jesus Christ to lead these out. Now before you go any further and say, I wonder if he was saying Judas is saved. No, I wasn't saying that. But he had the chance to be. He had the chance. I don't, you know, really? Who am I to say he was saved? I, the Bible says he went to a place of his own. That sounds like hell to me. But nonetheless, I believe that he had the opportunity to be saved. I believe that whosoever will has been true throughout all, all time from the day that Adam sinned to this day. He had an opportunity. And he was close, but he didn't come all the way to Jesus as he should have. As some people get into church where everything's growing, everything's happening, they want to be a part of it, and they get right on it, do everything they say. For too long, something new comes along and they're gone. wasn't real true commitment. It was a true looking for what the world has to offer and what would exalt themselves. But Matthew chapter 17, verse 19, 
we need to understand that John, James, and Peter are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. It's on the Mount of Transfiguration that all of a sudden, and Jesus just chose those three that seemed like James and John who were brothers and then, then uh, Peter. They seem to be an inner circle of the Lord. As a matter of fact, they're the three that He takes with Him in the Garden of Gethsemane when they're, uh, He's praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane before the soldiers come to take Him. But they could not even watch one hour themselves, although they were the top guys in the twelve. And so, at the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses appear. I mean, they see Elijah and Moses. Isn't that interesting? These guys are, have been dwelling with the Lord for all those years since their death. And they have a body that can be clearly seen. And I believe that it's a body that the Lord gave them for that thing. I still don't think it is the complete glorified body, but I think it's a body that is pure because now they're with the Lord. And they talk with Jesus about what's coming up at the crucifixion. But keep it in mind that now what is different is that in Matthew chapter 17, the other was back in Matthew chapter 10 where he sends them out. So now we have this coming up. They have seen the ministry of Jesus Christ. They, they saw it with their own eyes. And now, Jesus, after they see the transfiguration of Jesus, His raiment becomes white and glistering. Those guys fall, they faint. When they come to, the Lord says, well, let us build a tabernacle for each of you. And uh, all of a sudden, the voice of the Father says, this is my son, hear ye him. Whoa. That woke them up. Peter had no idea what he's saying, but he was trying to do something. A lot of times people have criticism for the guy that messes up, but they aren't trying to do anything themselves. At least the guy tried. Well, here we see him uh, coming down after all of that straightened out, and they're walking off the mountain. And the other disciples, the rest of them are down there with the group, and they're They've come to him. This man has a son who has a devil, a demon. And it's oftentimes throwing him into the fire, into the water, anything it could just to try to kill this boy. And they bring him to the disciples and ask them to cast him out. They can't cast him out. They can't cast them out. And so as they're coming down, Jesus will see them and he'll be asking them uh, what's going on here. Now, I say that don't be surprised. In this day of online apps, of websites that your sons and daughters have access to that you have no idea about, that Satan's army of devils will go after them. His army 
of devils will be just like this boy in the Bible who had this devil that they could not cast out. And it wasn't Satan, but it was one of his angels. You see, they can allure and take over your child or grandchild being ignorant of his devices. Their free will can lead another direction. That's why you keep your children from it. And you teach your children righteousness. Now look, Adam is called in the Luke genealogy, son of God. Not the son of God in deity, but he is the son of God in that he is the first human. Now we've read Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so often they said, okay, if you do it just the way God says it, boy, your child will never go wrong, or if they go wrong, they'll come back. That's not what the verse means. They won't depart from it. In other words, it'll always be there to convict them. That's why it's so important, as in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord says you'll teach them when you sit down in your house, when you rise up in the morning, when you're working in, or anything else, you teach your children God's Word. Why? The more and more familiar they get with it, they can't depart from it. Now, they can do all types of evil. Look at all that Judas saw. Look at all those 12 disciples that ran when the soldiers were there. They, they took off. Who had just, a few hours before, said, hey, I'll be right there with you. They're not going to do it with me around. <laughs> yeah, well, before this day is over, you're going to deny me thrice, Peter. They all agreed the same thing they had to do as Peter. They all left. Yet they saw the miracles of Christ. They knew those things. Guess what? It convicted them. It convicted Peter immediately. Why? Because he could not depart from what Christ had planted within. And that's what you want in your children. That's what you want in your grandchildren. Plant it within. Now, some of you that are grandparents, you know that. Sometimes you get your children, grands, your children's children, your grandchildren. Spend the night at grandma's. I mean, that always means good eating. That always means you get to stay up a little bit later. That always means you get to have fun with grandpa. I mean, that's always a great thing. But it's also a time to share scripture. I do remember that over the years that... <clears throat> My wife would be putting those kids to bed and she'd always pray with them and have something from the Word of God to share with them. And Grandpa now is the fun guy, but Grandma's the guy that if Grandpa does anything against her, I'm a dead man. Okay. So I, I'm saying that, just say this. These people, these people, we're around Christ through all of everything. And yet, they forsook him and fled. Even through all that they saw, they forsook him and they fled. 
And so we read in verse 19, when he came, the disciples, uh, when came the disciples to Jesus apart, this is after Jesus has healed this boy that they could not heal. This is after Jesus has switched that situation completely around. These other disciples and comes to him and says, why could not we cast him out? I mean, remember coming off that mountain and back there 10 chapters ago, I mean, since then, they've watched 5,000 fed, 4,000 fed. They were there in, when we was reading about Matthew chapter 16, thou art the son of the living God. They were there for that. This is after all of that. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead to heal people. They saw it all. Now you think about some of those. John. You think about others who were there. They were used mightily of the Lord after that. They were able to bounce back in Christ Jesus. But they had witnessed some great things that God does. But you see, you still have to remember, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Not, I can do all things. No, I can do all things through Christ. Without Christ, it's going to fail. And so, disciples come to him apart. Why could not we cast him out? Why? We did it before. We came off the mountains. We, we, we went out and healed sick. We did all that. Why couldn't we do this one? We're powerless. In verse 20, And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. Wait a minute. They seen him walk on the water. They saw that he would raise the dead. And they had unbelief. That's not quite what it is meaning here. They had, they didn't have unbelief when they went out two by two. So don't be naive to say, well, they lost their faith in the Lord. They just lost it all. No, they didn't. They continued to walk with him. Even though they had seen all these things in his ministry. But he says, For verily I say unto you, If ye had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Remember in John 16, when the Lord told his disciples, after his departing it was necessary, because he was going to send to them the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit would indwell them, would fill them, and he would teach them the things that Christ had told them and all that. You see, they in their mental capacity didn't have the understanding to understand all that Christ taught them. 
Christ said, you'll know better then. You see, Christ appeared in flesh. They more often gave attention to the flesh than they did the spirit. They couldn't understand the deeper things of God until the Spirit of God was manifested in them. And the same still stands true today, by the way. The moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell, but to have the filling of the Holy Spirit is not how much of Him. When you got saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit. Not part, you got all the Holy Spirit. But the question is, is how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? That's the question for all of us. So when he says, say this mountain remove, it shall go, and nothing shall be impossible to you. So they didn't lose all their faith. They had the faith to go out and do those things that Jesus gave them from the mountain up there when he selected them. They saw all the things. They left all to serve him. I mean, they, they left all to serve him. Remember later when Peter will say, Father, uh, Jesus, uh, what shall we have? We have forsaken all to follow thee. I mean, they owned fishing boats. They did well in life. They forsook it all. Matthew was a tax collector. He made big money. He forsook it all. They forsook it all. They'd be hated and forsaken by others for doing it. And now Jesus is speaking of their lack of faith. Well, I think it's clarified in verse 21. Howbeit this kind cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. Now, Prayer and fasting. We talk about the, the trinity of man, you know, body, soul, and spirit. Body, flesh, what the flesh carries out, what the flesh does at the direction of the desires of the soul or the spirit. When the soul has the most authority and most control in your life, your flesh will end up doing evil things because the soul is the seat of your emotions. The spirit, the spirit that was made in God's image but has now a sin nature within it. That person doesn't get saved. That person doesn't get right. That's, that spirit will help to deceive a person. It will help do so many other things. But that spirit's going to live forever. That spirit will depart from this body one day. And as saved people, it'll go to be with the Lord. That spirit will live forever in a body. You remember in hell? She's telling about the story of hell with uh, Lazarus and the rich man. What did the rich man see? He looked across that great gulf and he sees Lazarus, that old guy that had been full of sores, there in Abraham's bosom. 
Did he see a spirit? No. The Lord gave him a body for that place. Now look, Lazarus' body on earth was there, but there's a body that was there in that paradise until that paradise was caught up to what we call the third heaven, what the Bible calls the third heaven. But then it was there. Abraham looked across and see that, that rich man in hell, not because he was rich, but because he was not saved. And he's there, he says, I'm tormented in this flame. He's got a body that can be tormented. It's not the body he died in, but his spirit's in a body that's prepared for hell so that it can never disintegrate. It can never cease. It'll always exist. It'll feel the pain that this body would feel in the same conditions that this soul would feel under the same things of the fear and the agony. It'll feel all of those things. That spirit that he's given us to be caught up, to be with the Lord forever and ever. But you see, when we get saved, we need to walk in the Spirit of God, but our spirit needs to be the thing that is directing our flesh, our soul, our emotions, everything in the things of God, in the things of His Word, in the things of His righteousness, regardless of the temptations, of the trials, and the problems that afflict us. You walk with God. And so, as we look at this, Jesus says unto them, because of their unbelief, and they have, they're trying to figure out, look at all we've done. Lack of faith. Then he says, but this kind comes not out by, by prayer and fasting. See, it's in that spirit that you make the deep decisions of life. And it's in that spirit that you seek God's face, God's will, God's direction. I, I've, told the story that, I've told this story to you, I've told it to kids a couple of times here in chapels over the years that uh, my wife, when I met her, I thought she was the prettiest woman that I ever met, and I know that she still is. Okay, but when we were talking marriage and all that and getting engaged, it, it hit me. And I wondered, am I marrying her because of the lust of the flesh? She's so beautiful. I spent an entire night in a broom closet. Now that broom closet would probably go from here to here. I spent the night in that closet with... <laughs> Brooms and buckets. I, I prayed there from probably 11 o'clock at night to about 5 or 6 in the morning. Matter of fact, I think about 4 o'clock in the morning, somebody came over there and opened the door, and I thought they were going to have a heart attack. They just went back like that. I said, hey, I'm in here praying. It's okay, okay. And, and took off, got out of there. But I prayed that night because I said, I'm not going to go through with this if I don't know that that's what God wants. 
One thing I do remember is that the vows were always love, honor, and cherish. Sickness and health, rich or poor, better or worse. Love, honor, and cherish till death do us part. You may go through the worst. You may go through the sickness. You may go through all of that that's bad. But you give your word. You stick with it no, no matter what. So when I knew that that's what God wanted me to do, said, yes, that's the one. I said, yes. I asked her to marry me and gave her the ring and so forth like that. But it's been the best thing for me because it was his will. Before I come to Central Baptist Church, I was out in Arizona. My dad and mom flew out there. He said, I've talked to the deacons. And the deacons want me to uh, ask you to come to be my assistant for two years and then take over as pastor. Now, it wasn't the deacons wanted him to. He wanted to. I'm sure he gave himself the prayer. When he was out there in Arizona, now understand, we're meeting in an elementary school auditorium trying to teach people that we've just led to the Lord, getting them grounded, the building blocks. That's a lot of where the building blocks uh, developed even more than what was from my first church where I first started writing it. And getting them established in the faith. But what I want you to know is that as we, uh, Dad had told me that, and I got home, Dad and I had been out somewhere, Janice and my mother had been out somewhere and, uh, with the kids, and so I I told her, I says, Dad wants us to come there and be associated. I says, let's not say no to him now. Let's wait till they get back home. I says, I don't want to spoil their vacation. Back then, you could go out to the airport. You know, you could get, walk on the tarmac with them. I walked out to the tarmac, and Dad's getting ready to go up those steps. He turned around. Now, remember, before you answer me, I told you to pray. Now, you make sure you pray. I said, yes, sir, I will. And so I started praying. I said, Lord, show me how I can answer him in a way that won't hurt him so bad. I know him and mom want, want us back there. and uh, They want the grandkids especially. I know they want us back there. But, and so help me to be able to say it. And you know, I just knew right off the bat that's not the way I'd promised to pray. That's not the way God wanted to be prayed. I think that was in about May of the year, I think it was about like that, April or May. It wasn't until late August that I said, Dad, I'll come. I fought all the way. I had nights where I would pray all night long. Other night days I would fast and just not pray and fast, pray and fast, watch. You know, just like guard watching for the enemy. You're trying to watch, say, is the devil trying to mess this up? Is he trying to mess this mystery up? Because, see, we had about 35 people. Most of them we had led to the Lord. We just started scratch, nothing, just going door to door. Where would I put those people? If I left here, what's going to happen to them? Well, I'm not the one that saved them anyway. But at the time, I'm thinking, I'm going to lose them all. Finally, I come to a point. Now, there was another church in town. Boy, it had a beautiful building, nice location, 
everything. I mean, everything you'd want. As a matter of fact, the pastor and I became friends, and uh, we went out together and sometimes, you know, and just I went over and spoke for them on several occasions. So uh, I said, Lord, if I ever was, had a church, boy, I'd like to have that one, you know, but I said, that's his church, so we're going to have to someday build, and we're going to have to do this, do that. So finally, I realized that's what God wanted me to do. And I said, okay, Lord, I know that's what you want me to do. I'll do it. Called Dad. I said, Dad, no, it's late dogs. I know God wants us to come. Now, I don't go on feelings at all. But you could just, it's like 500 pounds was taken off your shoulders at that time. Wow. It was so great, you know, and I knew that. But I also knew if you're going to follow Dr. Jesse Bloom, you're going to be the target. And that's proven true, but you're target if you stand for the Lord anywhere you go. But I said, Dad, okay, we'll come. We'll come. So we got that range about coming back there. The next day, that preacher, my friend who pastored that church I would have loved to have had, called me up and he says, uh, Andy, I've been called up to Utah to take a church over there. My people already, they want you to come be their pastor. I said, man, why didn't you call me 24 hours ago? I would have jumped on it in a heartbeat. Well, the Lord knew that too. That's why things moved. Besides, I wanted to get a night's sleep for a change. But prayer and fasting is what brought that about, seeking the will of God. But we also find here, this kind comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. Oh, they had, they had a power from God to cast out devils, but this kind comes not out, but by prayer and fasting. But just like I was telling you about marriage, coming here, and I'll tell you what, first, night I, first Wednesday night I was here, I went over to check out, the, then it was uh, Awanas. I went over there. We had workers that weren't even members of the church, not dressed the way a Christian should dress. Very immodest and everything else. I thought, oh no. I saw things that, mm. and even some of the music had gone another direction. Not like what you see today, but some had gone another direction. It says, we got it, Lord. I went home that Wednesday night, just about in tears, thinking, Lord, I was so sure. I was so sure. And it's kind of like, yeah, I brought you here for this reason. Don't quit when you're attacked. Well, he told me when to leave. My first church, he told me when to leave that church we went out there to plant. And by the way, every one of those people, with exception of two, I think, moved from Tucson, Arizona within a year. Moved away. 
But I'm saying, the Lord led. We didn't, when I went to Cantonment Baptist Church up there, I felt I was going to be there the rest of my life. I told, my dad comes and says, well, this is a good starting point for you. That will get you along, and then you get out of this place. I didn't say it to him, but in my mind I was saying, come on, Dad. I came here to stay the rest of my life. This is where God led me. But you see, God has to call you out. Until God changes the ministry, you stay where you are. Until He changes you, until He actually calls you, and you've spent time in prayer and fasting, don't do a thing. Because you're in a spiritual warfare. And if you're going to keep pressing on the upward way, then you've got to be led every step of the way by the Lord. You see, there was one that had a devil, a child. And that child, the disciples could not cast out that devil because this kind was not the same as the other devils. Do you realize, and I'm going to cover this next Sunday morning, there are different levels of devils in, God, in the Satan's army. Remember, there's Michael and Archangel. Remember that? When contending with the devil, he said, the Lord rebuked thee. He had a higher position. Principalities, powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places are all levels like you would have in the military. From sergeant on up to the ranks. We battle against them. In this little boy, this was a very high-ranking devil that could only be met by prayer and fasting. When I look at America, when I look at homes that are, you say, there's no hope for that home. That wayward child, there's no hope for that child. There's no hope for that grandchild. They're so wayward. There's no hope for America to be what we would knew. Now, we weren't what you'd call a holy nation, but we were guided by Christian principles and values just by the Constitution itself to where all these things that you see going on today just on your television sets, what you see going on out did not go on out there back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Oh yeah, those sins were around, but they weren't manifest. It can never go back to that. But this kind comes not out but by prayer and fasting. Individuals and the local church, the preachers, we have to get back to it. If we don't, it won't be critical thinking. It will not be Marxist thinking. It will not be Democrats. It will not be Republicans. It'll be the church that brought it down because we did not stand. We did not seek the Lord's face. And individually, we haven't sought to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And I'll do it until you tell me to stop. You keep on keeping on. Let's bow our heads, please.